Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Miller Lite. Did you know that Miller Lite was the beer that launched the light beer category? Miller Lite is the original light beer, and from the start, it has never compromised on taste. That's because it's always brewed to have more taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. Miller Lite, hold true. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, back off, this is executive level business, it's Jason Gallagher. Yes. What's Let's, up, man? Uh, Jason, do you ever go to The Watch Facebook page? Yeah, of course I do. People really want us to finish this journey that we started together. So Jason and I are here. We're going to talk a little bit about dark. Yeah. I know that we were going piecemeal like episode by episode. I think we did two at a time. Uh-huh. This will be a slightly longer swath of episode, larger swath of episodes, but the same sort of level of conversation mm-hmm. that you've come to expect from <laughs> two <laughs> physicists yeah. like Jason and I. Jason and I are also first going to talk about the Succession season two trailer that dropped today. So it's excited. Thursday, and then after Jason departs, I will be joined. This is a pretty big deal by Bon Appetit's Claire Saffitz. Wow, host of Gourmet Makes. Uh, she is in town and she was nice enough to come by and I cannot wait to talk to her about That's, awesome. That's incredible. how she made that Twix because it was fucking amazing. <laughs> She's pretty incredible. Allison and I have talked a lot about the Bon Appetit videos and um, how meaningful they are to us. Yeah. Do you ever watch those? No. You'd really dig them. Right. Yeah, as a video producer. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, you dig them. Let's talk about Succession. Dude, I've never been here for an intro. Have you? Not in the flesh. But this is you're you're putting up incredible late season numbers. Sure. Right now. You're like the Kelly Oubre Jr. of the watch. <laughs> well, no, I don't know if that's good. Um, um so succession is something very, very important to me. Yeah. Very important to us as friends, uh, very important to us as ringer employees. Yes. It's a show that, like, even though I think it took a little while to catch on, I was like an early seed and angel investor emotionally in this show uh-huh. and my my investment has paid off in a huge way. Yeah. And I'm I'm I I think that it would be like good content to sound some like notes of cynicism about it for its second season, but you're not going to hear that on this fucking not, podcast. Not, not here. Not here. <laughs> um you watched the trailer, yep. the new one just dropped. They've had they had a teaser that was going during the Game of Thrones season. Yeah. But it kind of sets up what the season's going to be about. It seems like there is going to be the additional Another plot line of King Lear and the dipshits yep. going, uh, where it's, you know, Brian Cox's patriarch deciding how to divide up his empire and if he's going to divide up his empire and Shiv and Kendall and everybody angling for it. But then on the other hand, they're also going to be pursuing what sounds like a, I don't know whether it's the New York Times, like if, if it's the New York Times family or the Condé Nast family or some kind of like legacy um, highly regarded, well-regarded uh, media brand that they want to just become the biggest name in media. So what are your first thoughts after seeing the trailer? My first thoughts are, the, I mean, the opening line of the trailer is, thank you all for making it. And that just for me <laughs> is like, hell yeah, they know they know that the gathering of the family is all that really matters. I don't even care what they're fighting about, what they're talking about. Yeah. Like, this is, this show gets what we love about it. It gets itself you know, in in past trailers and stuff like that, you know, I think us as a staff have kind of been like, we need a little more Tom and Greg. Yeah, and they, they gave us just bit. they gave us just enough. <laughs> Let's bone this turkey. Yeah, uh, I mean, and Tom throwing water bottles at Greg. 
Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that's like, I, I'm just like, this one felt the most like, a co- we're, we're going to watch this collection of people rather than like, the past trailers have been re- really heavy on Jeremy Strong and Brian Cox. Yeah. And Logan and Kendall, which y- I think is yeah. essentially the spine of the show in For a lot sure. of ways. Yeah. But I'm glad that that this one is more in the spirit. I, I personally am like really, uh, I have like strong affections for Connor. I think Connor's <laughs> so freaking funny. Uh, and so I could use a little more Connor in, in it. But I, I think Andy is going to be able to really weigh in on Connor this year yeah. now that he's spend some time in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> They've got pods in New Mexico. Yeah, some sustainability going yeah. on. So that th- those are like my just very brief sort of takeaways. I I mean like all the storyline stuff is is like shiv power moving, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Um all very interesting, but honestly I just like all I care about is that they really it looks like this is like they're you know, back to sort of embracing this sort of like this this is Gathering, it's like a collection yeah, of characters, it, and it, in, a, in a weird way, like the Roy fan is is a character of itself. Sure. And then they they did something so smart in the first season, and I think it, it was something that you know shows teach you how to watch them. And yeah. I think over the course of the season, people realized, okay, each episode is going to be this kind of reunion of mm-hmm. itself, whether it's a holiday, whether it's a bachelor party, a wedding, uh, like a gathering at a hospital for a sick family member. And that will be the impetus behind all these people being together. And I think that that structure really, really, really worked towards the end of the season yeah. as things got hairier and hairier. You know, you could you could make the argument that there are a couple of beats that they did in the first season that it would be disappointing if they did them again, All even if they were right for the character. So say for Kendall yeah. and Kendall's... dual paths of both ascending the corporate ladder but also descending into addiction. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was played wonderfully last season and the way that those two things affected each other was amazing. Yeah. I don't know necessarily dramatically how much it works next season but it would make sense that Kendall is still struggling with substances. For sure. But yeah, I just can't wait, man. I I can't wait. It's like, it's one of those things where you didn't know you missed it as much as you did until you saw the trailer. Totally. It, and it's one of those things. I mean, I kind of like how you feel about Lion King. <laughs> wow, just shots. That's fine. Whatever. I don't care. I can't wait. You can't wait to watch uh, the Lion King a nature documentary with songs played over. Yes. It? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Planet Earth was great. What do you? What's the problem? I don't I, understand. Anyways. It's not like I'm mad that they deviated from live. Lion yeah. King like, canon. what are you? Yeah. yeah. yeah anyways. Um. So what? What I was gonna say was that um, I I'm a very much like a. With the, with this show, if they if they're like next week on Succession, they go to New Mexico. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right, play the hits. And there, the, there's the, certain the, shows like, that are like that. I'm like, not sure. I care. Like, I have this weird. Like, I'm not sure. I totally care about like sort of developing characters as much. I, I know I'm probably not the guy to talk to about this stuff, but like, I really really care about like just. Anytime Tom and Greg go out to dinner. Yeah, if I told you there, there was like a Greg Bachelor Party episode, you'd probably be like, holy crap. I'm really just excited for August. We've got yeah. this, mm-hmm. Succession, Righteous Gemstones yeah. on HBO, the new Danny McBride show. And, Cannot and wait. I think Danny's going to be coming on the watch pretty soon, so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> and then Mindhunter. Yeah. And I just want TV to fuck me up in August. Yeah. Like, I'm really, 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 like, 
Um, the decks have been cleared for Mindhunter. All of these shows are all uh, J- in in my household are just Jason, Jason only, only shows. <laughs> so my wife and I are going to have a lot of conversations. Uh-huh. Um, but it's going to be a time of quiet reflection <laughs> in your house. It is. It is. It's really going to mess me up. Uh, are is there one that you're? I, I mean, they're they're also different. Is there one you're looking forward to more than Mindhunter? Mindhunter. Hell yeah! I think I. I I felt like Mindhunter. It's it's really interesting. So I've been thinking because in the wake of Stranger Things, yeah, and just the churn that we have right now, I think that there is a little bit of fatigue about anything past its first season because yeah. it's just sort of like, what are you doing that you didn't do in the first season? And is there a story that you're telling that needed to be this long? And I think you can make that argument for Lies that they're. It's a really cool like it. It's really cool to have them those characters back, mm. but. I think you could make the argument that that show should have been three episodes this season or maybe like 10 episodes and had just like a lot more soap opera and a lot more parent-teacher conferences and a lot more like A, B, C, D plots. Yeah. Or it should have been just like basically a quick three-episode or three-hour thing to wrap up the story. Right. But this weird, it it being six doesn't make a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that I loved Stranger Things, but I thought that I wished it was longer or I wished it was shorter. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a, there's a little bit of like a fatigue with building up to just to repeat the same dramatic beats from the previous season. Right. Uh, I'm not really worried about that with Stranger Things. And with Mindhunter, I think where they took that show, they're not going to make that thing unless they have something to say. Like, I just don't think Fincher is not like, I'm so glad I finally got a TV show. Right. You know? And the fact that he's directing it and Andrew Dominic is directing it, I mm-hmm. just, I can't wait for it, man. I just really think they're going to go to some pretty perverse places. Yeah. It's, and, and, and it was, it's, it was weird. Season one was the kind of show that like the imagine, I, not a ton, like, you know, action wise, like really happened or anything like not, and not that a ton will uh-huh. necessarily, but there was always like my ana- imagination on that show, like was huge. Yeah. A- and when it when I think about what actually happened, it was still like super compelling, and like uh, my chest was hurting when he was in the hospital, yeah. like that whole thing. The Zeppelin but, like, montage, yeah. I mean, like imagining a season two is just like my imagination once again, sort of just like expands. Well, into I think because it, it's, it's it cool. actually has what we're talking about, where you know the characters on Mindhunter can actually go new places. Yeah, where and it's not like they're stuck in the same thing. They're not that. They, and they're also tying the show to a sort of secret American history that hasn't that they're telling in a very specific way that dictates that the show goes different places. The yeah. same way Mad Men did in a lot of ways. It's not unlike the way Mad Men went from the early swinging '60s into the summer of love and into like that yeah. kind of changed American history. I think I hope Mindhunter does the same thing. It's a big fall for our guy. I know he's in Frozen too. <laughs> <laughs> Big fall for Groff. Um, let's talk about Dark. Yes. So I, I would say that my after, so this is going to be a spoiler talk about Dark, the last few episodes of the season. It's an eight episode season. Uh-huh. I definitely started episode eight not knowing it was the last episode of the season. <laughs> the so worst. Shout out to me. <laughs> I would say that in concert with what we're talking about here with like seasons, I found I found this ep- season to be a little bit of a slog at times. Never not interesting, never mm-hmm. not smart, but just like a lot of Adam being like, it is an endless loop. Yeah, I'm the beginning that, and the end. Yeah. But like it was repetitive. Sure. I think intentionally so. Yeah. 
Um, that being said, I thought the sixth episode of this season was the best episode of the series. Yeah. Oh, wow. Maybe. Okay. Um, that the the sort of um, confrontation between Jonas and his father, Michael, was unbelievable. Where you get to the opportunity to maybe change the past and change the future. And then you talk yourself into the idea that maybe everything has to happen for a reason. Yeah. And there's a reason why you're there. And then to imagine him being the reason why his father does that. Right. And you get into all these questions about, like, what would he have done if you hadn't been there? Because he always thinks that, like, he's supposed to be there to stop his father from taking his own life. But right. maybe his presence is what causes it. And that was that was really an amazing piece of television. Episode 6. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> Yeah, and then it made me think, I mean, the, I think somebody tweeted us that had to do with a little bit of episode six, which was basically like, so is are we led to believe like that Adam is lying to Jonas about the beginning of it all? There's a suggestion because that Adam is lying to Jonas about something. About, well, yeah, I think that's, it, after the finale, it's kind of like definitely proven that he's not showing all the cards. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the his whole case for him going back and, and, um, you know, going back and stop, or yeah, essentially stopping his father from, from killing himself is like, is, is this sort of like, this is the beginning of it all. This is what, what starts everything. And that is very clearly not the case. I, yeah. And I think that it is once again, like a, from my understanding, an example of the bootstrap, bootstrap paradox. Where yeah. does where is the beginning of it all? Yeah. It's definitely. I don't think it is where his because there's so many moments where if so and so does something different, uh, you know. Speaking of the finale, if something else happens there, then then none of the other stuff happens, right. and it's just like this. Uh, my the best. Head. I think the best thing I, I've actually like when I was trying to explain it to myself. Do you got it? I don't have it, but I think almost. <laughs> You can take the principles of the bootstrap paradox and apply it to this. Okay. Imagine an analog clock face, basically. Yeah. Is 12 early or late? You know? Like if you're, is midnight the beginning of a day or the end of a day? Is it late at night or is it early in the morning? It's like this idea of like circular time at any point in the time. It could be early or it could be late. You could yeah. be at, at late in a day, but is it, is it, you know, it's that, it's that kind of thing. It's definitely late. Midnight. <laughs> I mean, for dad over here. Yeah, but it's the beginning of a day. Right, it's like, totally. it depends on how you're basically contextualizing what's happening at any point. Yeah, people and, do that with the weeks too. Yeah. They go, is this, it's Sunday or Monday, which is the start of the week. What I about know. you? What do you I, say? I say that the start of the week is Monday, but I understand that it's Sunday. Like, I understand we've all culturally agreed <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. upon it being Sunday, but work starts on Monday. Sure. That's how I look at it. We need time time guy Riley McAtee in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the reason why I thought six was also incredible was because it had a lot of the qualities that the first season had. Yeah. It took place on a day where Katarina and uh, Ulrich are celebrating their anniversary. Yeah, that was wild. And the teenagers of the town were going out to the lake for the day. Uh -huh. And so there's a moment where young Jonas, Martha... Magnus and Bartas are all out at the lake, mm -hmm. and young and young Jonas in that moment is like, "I have to go." I, I can't remember why he's like, "I have to go," but he he's like, "I have to yeah. jet and show my mom, my grandmother, how to use an iPad or something like yeah, that." Yeah, yeah. And Martha's like, "Okay," and then old Jonas, but in like young Jonas, but from the future comes right. 
and he pulls up his raincoat so that you can't see the hangman mark around yeah. his neck. A hangman mark given to him by Elizabeth, the deaf girl who's Francesca's sister. Yeah. Um, and he sits down and he's like, we're a perfect match. Don't ever think otherwise or yeah. whatever to Martha. And I realized that it was that the time travel stuff in the flow of an actual like lived-in town. Yeah was what was so amazing about that first season. And just a second season of people walking into rooms and being like, Hannah, show me how to use the time machine. <laughs> no, I've, I've absconded <laughs> with it. Is It was a little bit of slow sledding for a while. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm, it, it was cool. It was, it was also like, it was a good reminder of, of some of the motivations and some of the, you know, and, and understanding um, Ulrich's, you know, affair and all of that and how it sort of originated i was led to believe that it started at that that anniversary party or the birthday party or whatever it was yes um i think it's i think they obviously have feelings for one another but yeah, yeah i think that that moment where he's like my wife is kind of yeah just obsessed with our kids and han is out here and i want to have that feeling of feeling like new and excited yeah and young. yeah it was just a it was a good reminder of like what ulrich was like it had been it had been so long of like crazy Ulrich yeah that it was just it was it was cool to see the th that that family just like normal again and like like you said it was just a good, good refreshing reminder of these characters so we get endless cycle is episode six yeah. uh episode seven is the white devil and I have to be completely honest I don't know that I know what the white devil is yet I still can't figure Are it we out supposed is to it, know is it Claudia that's my impression right now. So there's a, every time they mention it, she is the person in the at least in the stratosphere. Yeah, and throughout the season, there's basically there are just conversations that happen, mm -hmm. whether it's about Adam, whether it's about how all this started, whether it's about breaking the cycle, a new cycle beginning. Somebody will do something that seems momentous, yeah. and they're like, "Well, you were always going to do this. I knew you were going to do this. You've done this before. Whatever, Claudia getting shot, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Adam shooting Noah." That was obviously another one. You get the feeling like, I, I think you just get a little bit like punch drunk as to like, wait, is this happening? Is what's happening significant or is it only because yeah. this is a part of a cycle that's going on and on and on? Obviously, every in each one of these, I think in each one of the cycles, right, there is an apocalyptic event. Yes. Especially the in 2019 where this creepy cop who's come from out of town to investigate the disappearance of his brother or the death of his brother. Which we still don't totally understand why. But seems to have carte why? blanche to just do anything he wants. Yeah. Drills into black matter, dark matter. Yeah. Which is essentially like what makes black holes. And right. blows up possibly the world. And then we get like this post-apocalyptic dystopia where Elizabeth is sort of the leader of the resistance, I right. guess. <sighs> the show ends, the season ends with Martha's been shot by, by Adam, Adam who is old is, Jonas, or is at least supposed to be. Yeah, which is, the, that's, to me, the ultimate, like... Question mark. Okay, well, uh, you know, if Adam then is supposed to be sort of, he's telling Jonas that the one of the bigger motivating factors is this painful experience, you know, we're, you know, I'm sure we're led to believe that the, it's the death of Martha. Yes. But it's Well, Adam I think initially he's led to believe that it's the death of his father. Right. And then but it's... It, that it's the death of Martha, but yeah. Adam kills Martha. But Adam kills Martha. So because it's like, he needs Jonas to become him, and the only way to do that is to sort of rid him of love. Now, 
this whole time, we're hearing about this new cycle that's going to begin. So there's not going to be these loops. It's going to be something new. Yeah. Now, I thought, like, say, for instance, Hana going back in time, mm-hmm. abandoning Ulrich in jail, <laughs> and seemingly starting an affair with Egon Tiedemann, although that isn't completed, but it seems like she's like, I'm right. going to stay a while. Yeah. Would make her Claudia's father? Mother. It would make it make her Claudia's mother, maybe, if in that timeline. Yeah. I think so. Right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of this episode, at the end of the season, we are introduced to a new Martha who arrives on the scene shortly after her own death and says, and he's like, what time are you from? And she's like, that's not the question. The question is, what world am I from? <laughs> it, it really was a, when it rains, it pours. When like, we talk in terms about of this, not understanding when we stuff. talk about this, I'm like, does this show suck? Because it sounds so crazy. <laughs> Like, I don't, I, I guess, like, for people who like Dark and they like hearing us talk about it, I hope yeah. we're being helpful. We're really just sorting it all out. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the most, like, I legitimately, like, laughed and was like, this is a bit because I am barely keeping up. But this- I let a few days, I, I watched the finale probably about a week ago uh-huh. and I had to do a full on deep dive to, like, catch myself up for this podcast. And did you, like, did you discover anything in your deep dive? Um, not really discovered, but re- I had to be reminded of so many revelations that happened in the last three episodes. It's it's wild. I mean, maybe the most crazy thing is that Charlotte's daughter is her mother. Yeah, that's fucked that's up. That's definitely the craziest thing. <laughs> Charlotte discovered that her daughter Elizabeth is, is her mother. Wait. Yeah. Wait, how? Oh, wait, really? Yeah, that was one of the things that I was like, right. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> So, basically, Noah Noah talks about how um, he went back and I have to go. I have to like go back to the scene to explain it. But basically, Noah meets Elizabeth in the um, in the bunker uh-huh. where uh, she was taken yes. to to hide out, and then we're somehow led to believe that Elizabeth is actually Charlotte's mother. I didn't get that. Um, I'm not. I'm not doubting you. I'm not. I'm not fact checking you. I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice that. I saw. I know that Elizabeth reaches across time in the future to touch Charlotte's hand, and that's seemingly what sets off the dark matter. Every, I went to a bunch of blogs. I mean, like, I should have looked you went into to a bunch it. Of blogs. I went to a bunch of blogs, and I was like, what are the unanswered questions? And everyone was like, so her daughter's her mother. And I was like, oh, yeah. Were I you remember the person having- who was like, maybe there's only five people in this town? Yes. Okay. That was my that was my theory of like, everyone is, yeah, there's basically like four characters and they're all like living in different, and every, you know, what I said in the, I think the previous podcast was like, someone's, everyone's related. Someone's right. somebody's aunt. Right. Somebody's somebody's daughter. Which does, whatever. does bring up some, some difficult conversations about incest, but we've never shied away from those conversations on this podcast when it comes to Game of Thrones. So. Right. Um, because like Martha and Jonas are actually, Jonas is her uncle, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. mean, shout out Game of Thrones. You know. Um, yeah. The, this. I mean, like this vulture piece that I that I was using to okay. sort of like remind myself of what I've learned. Um, I mean, it's pretty matter of fact. Her father is a creepy time traveling priest named Noah, and her mother is Elizabeth, who also happens to be her younger daughter. Younger daughter. <laughs> Let that sink in. Yeah, Charlotte puts her young daughter Elizabeth in Helga's bunker along with her father, 
Peter so that they can survive the impending nuclear apocalypse. Adult Jonas uh, comes in, right? Yeah. As the apocalypse is drawing near, young Noah from the 1920s walks into the bunker sent there by adult Noah. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, and this means that at some point in the post-apocalyptic apocalypse, Noah and Elizabeth have a daughter, Charlotte. But that daughter is taken from them and sent to live with 10. No, old Noah back in 1980s. Yeah. Okay. There it is. I mean, like. I don't know. I mean, like, what do you want my conclusion to be from this? I mean, the show is like, it it is, when you look at the time machine in the, in this, in the briefcase on the show, and it's like this, like, little thing with all these gears, and that's what the show is. I don't really know. I mean, like, it, it definitely lost something from season two that it had in season one, which was the, the, specific energy of these seemingly normal people discovering an extraordinary set of circumstances. Yes. That was amazing. And as you're watching and you think, oh, is this like Broadchurch and it's just about missing kids? And it's like, oh, is this like Lost where there's like a little bit of a time travel element? Right. And then now it turns into this huge interlocking, hard to understand, you have to have a chart next to the computer while you're watching it thing. It's just a different experience. I am curious to see, because it was announced when they announced season two that this is part of a trilogy and that season three is forthcoming. And I would imagine, given the way people age, they need to like shoot this third season pretty quickly. I wonder if they shot it with the second season. What, what would you have wanted more or less of? And I mean, obviously less Adam just, just um, um, doing his thing. I think, that, I, I think that the Adam stuff is just like willfully confusing. Yeah. And it's it's they never really like talk about like, I guess is that Magnus and Francesca with with him mm-hmm. who are like his his yeah and homies. So that was another big question for me is like where's Bartos? Like I, I like why is he? That's what he you're dating? really worried about. <laughs> where's Bartos? I've got some questions, Bartos. my guy. Where is he? Yeah. Why? Wh- what? Ha- you know what's his deal? Um, yeah, there. I mean, like what is Hannah doing? Like there, there is a lot of big questions. I I agree with you. I mean, there is like this weird feeling of like because of this show, I feel like I'm in a weird club. Mm-hmm. of people of, of, which is like kind of of lunatics, of, of lunatics. Yeah. yeah and it is kind of like that part of it's fun and the more it goes down uh certain rabbit holes or whatever like that are frustrating but it's still like i don't know it's fun to be a part of a, yeah. a, a small club like that it's really that. cool I, I mean it's obviously something that they've figured out a way to do this that really demands a lot of scholarship in a way people are happy to do so i think it's really fascinating to see the community around this show see the people talking about it at this point, there's way more questions than there are answers, and even the answers, I think, are open to a lot of different interpretations. Yeah. But I can't wait for the third season. I really I, enjoyed talking about it with you. I just think most of what our conversation has been about— I mean, look, I took from it, like, anybody who's gone through family loss and all this other stuff, like, you know that you have all these different regrets, and you wonder whether or not you could have changed anything or gone back and done anything differently. Yeah. And I think that this show is— uh, I don't know if perceptive is the right word, but it does an interesting job of— taking something that's like a very real human emotion and putting it into basically sci-fi fantasy terms. Yeah. And this idea that you could go back, but what if your involvement was inconsequential? And one thing that I think one all the characters keep saying, many of the characters on the show are like, I think that I have a much bigger part to play in this or this somehow is all about me. Yeah. Like Charlotte keeps saying that. And I think she's probably right. I'm sure that's not like a, a red herring or anything. Yeah. But that is the great question we ask ourselves is like, what relevance do I have to the greater universe? And these people in a small town who all of a sudden find themselves in apparently a battle between good and evil that takes place across time. It's its like pretty and amazing worlds. to see them. <laughs> yeah, and now we might get 
Earth 2. Or we might get like straight up outer space. I have no idea where this show is going. Yeah, well, I mean, she had great bangs, so they, you know, wherever they I mean, are. they have great, maybe they have great hairdressers on Mars. <laughs> I, I uh, you know, if, if we're to sort of drink the Kool-Aid of the show, which we've been doing, um, you know, one of the things I kept thinking about was like, let's say I'm faced with a similar circumstance. Um, <laughs> why, which which why, circumstance? I, <laughs> I don't know, but like- Old what, you comes back? Yeah, a part, a part of me is like, why would I- why would I ever stick around, especially if I'm on my third or my second iteration of myself and I know all this stuff is going on? Like, why not go to Hawaii and just whatever? Yeah, where's and the which, outbound flights and, from Wyndham? And so we've we've talked about that, right. but I think a lot of the motivating factors for basically every character is like a version of love. And, you know, everybody's reason for going back and doing certain things is because of love. Yeah, for their uh, kids. Or, it, for, it, or the, for their kids or their, yeah, whatever, except their high school girlfriends. Except for maybe like <laughs> Hannah, which we still don't know what what's her deal. Well, like, and she's been broken by that. Yeah, yeah. it seems it seems as though. Yeah. Um, and so Although she was already cheating on Mick Owen before he That's dies. what I mean. Yeah. Like, but anyway, so what, what I'm saying is that um, that's why episode six was so important yeah. was to be reminded of the motivation. What, the, what the human consequences were. and the human stakes are in the show. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why people don't bounce. I guess not. Food. Why they're not like, how about I just go to Munich for the weekend? Exactly. Get, get away from this nuclear explosion. Okay, Jason, thank you so much for talking about Dark with me. I think we've both gotten smarter and dumber in the process. <laughs> 100% the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right back with my guest, Claire Saffitz, to talk about gourmet makes and Bon Appetit. Now I am joined by, I was just telling Claire here, Claire Saffitz is here from Bon Appetit, and this may be the most anticipated guest in Ringer podcast history, or at least this year. Like, we have a couple of really big names coming through, and when I, we sent out a little alert that says, like, can we get parking for these people? The response was incredible. Really? Yeah. That's totally insane to me, but very <laughs> flattering, so thanks. So you may know Claire from Gourmet Makes on the Bon Appetit YouTube channel, um, where she just really like just fights the good fight against white sugar. I, the first thing I want to ask you is how you were feeling because one of the things that I think I first like was like, man, I feel like emotionally involved in this whole series is like your battle against getting a cold and then like seemingly like whether it was with Almond Joys or I think in like Peeps episode, you were just like, I'm too congested to even taste this. Uh -huh. This sugar intake is killing me. Yeah, you can probably tell if you're paying attention in Gourmet Makes, I'm sick all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I determined that I, like, went to my doctor. I was sick for the entire month of la of March and just recently got sick again. And I was like, what's going on? I went to the doctor. She was like, you're fine. And I have, by process of elimination, determined that it's stress-related. And also, I do think it's because my diet is 60% white sugar. <laughs> it's ordinarily, just it wouldn't be. Well, ordinarily, it wouldn't be, although I am developing recipes for a cookbook that's about baking. So okay. it's like, I get it from all angles. It's like, gourmet There's makes. There's no off time. No. No. And, like, with recipe testing in particular, you have to sort of eat, like, a critical mass of the thing. Like, you can't just take a little tiny bite and decide it's good. You have to, like, sit with it, try it over a period of time, huh. and, like, taste it and really get to know it. And so, I, I mean, it does sound like I'm just justifying, like, eating sweets all the time. No. <laughs> but it's not necessarily that fun. Yeah, it becomes work, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, a funny thing happened. So I was just explaining how I took kind of a month off earlier in the summer to— really focus on recipe developing. And mm -hmm. I went to my parents' house so I could get away from some distractions. And we were noticing, I was mostly just there with my mom, and we were noticing that there were, like, a lot of ants in the house. <laughs> so she called an exterminator who came out. I was like, yeah, he got an odorous ant problem. And my mom was like, 
like, where do they come from? Like, how does that happen? And he was like, well, oh, well, they're attracted to sweets. Okay, so, yeah. Oh, my God, I so, gave my parents an odorous <laughs> ant infestation from all my like, recipe testing. Eight times more molasses that are in any other house on the yeah. eastern seaboard. Yeah, and, and the exterminator. I was working on cookie recipes, so we had a million cookies around, and the exterminator was very confused and was like, are you having a bake sale? Yeah, he's like, also, can I get a cookie? Oh, like, we oh. sent him home with all of them. Oh, that's great. We were like, first of all, we have an odorous ant, so we got to get rid of this stuff. And second of all, like, please take it off our hands. So you started a BA as like, it was as a recipe tester? Yes. Okay. Yes. So for people who don't know, because I kind of want to like understand the trajectory of how you wound up where you are, which is you're in town this weekend at VideoCon or VidCon. VidCon. Yeah. Which is like, you're doing like essentially live performances of these, of these YouTube videos that everybody loves and that they've obviously taken off. And just as context, I mean, I think most people have probably listened. We've mentioned you guys a bunch this year because... Myself and Allison Herman, who often does the podcast with me, but also Andy, who also does the podcast with me, when we talk about, like, what's our favorite things to watch, your videos come up, uh, like, alongside Fleabag and alongside, like, Game of Thrones and Gourmet Makes, you know, and there's maybe slightly less special effects going on in your (laughs) show than Game of Thrones. I think it's a lower budget. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. But how does... How did this happen? So you were working at BA, and what's a recipe tester specifically? Right, right. So I started working in the test kitchen at Bon Appetit over six years ago, or just about six years ago. Um, And I was a recipe tester, so I was kind of the low man on the totem pole. And um, so Bon Appetit has this test, an actual test kitchen in the office, and it's sort of how food magazines traditionally function. Was mm-hmm. They test the recipes on site with food editors. Who, this was their job to develop recipes. And there is that hierarchy that you get at magazines where you have like a senior food editor and then an associate food editor and assistant food editor. And I started at the very bottom, which was a recipe tester. So all the recipes get developed and tested and tasted. And then basically my job was to be like the last line of defense against any errors or inconsistencies in the recipe. Like so, almost a food copy editor or something. Yes, yeah. yes. But like making the actual recipe. Um, so a food editor would say this recipe's finished and they hand it off to me and I would make it through just as you as I would if I were cooking at home okay. and flag things and make corrections about, oh, you know, it took this long for it to bake or, um, you know, I this was, this was unclear or something like that. And that was a great entry into food editorial because you really learn how to write recipes Mm -hmm. that way and to develop recipes. You see sort of what is the decision-making process about um, what ingredients to call for. And, you know, you think a lot about like, well, how many pots and pans am I going to ask someone to to get dirty to make this recipe? And you sort of really learn about those efficiencies. So that was a great, I love that. That was like my dream job when I got it. I was so happy. And then I never left. (laughs) That was it. And they just one day where they started doing video and was it like Claire's around or is it something that you had been like kind of interested in? Were you a big food TV person and were like, this is where I'd like to go? Yeah, it was like Claire's here and she's already on staff so we don't have to pay her more. Um, I never had thought of video as a goal. Okay. And I'm not like, I do not in any way consider myself a performer. I, I, it sort of like makes me cringe. I I never, um, I don't really like the idea of being like looked at or seen a whole lot. Yeah. So now it's very it's very strange for me then to be like at something like VidCon. Um and the the exposure has been tremendous and, and that's really wonderful. But I've just never thought of myself as um right. s- someone in front of a camera. Um so the video started because it the the test kitchen just felt like a really natural place to shoot video and at some point, we moved into a different office um, in, downtown, da- in downtown right? Manhattan, yeah. yeah. And they built a beautiful new test kitchen that also could function as a studio. So is that optimized for being able to shoot stuff in there? 
It is. It's we basically outgrew it almost immediately okay. because um, because of adding that video component, and everyone was already in the test kitchen trying to develop their recipes. And um, it's you know it they they put that test kitchen through a lot. Okay. Um, but there was probably we did you know we had some early videos that um, that sort of happened before the brand found its voice. Right, on like video. Were those, the cake ones were before gourmet mix. I think were they the the baking school yeah, with the layer like cakes? Your, yeah, that was like during that 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 was more recent. Okay, um, so gourmet makes had already started. Okay. Um, but I have some earlier videos that like really make me cringe. There's one where I'm making soup dumplings, which is a great recipe and really fun to make. But they like put me in hair and makeup, and like I just look crazy. <laughs> like, the makeup <laughs> looks really weird. So Adam Rappaport, the editor in chief, he was. It really I think came a lot from him. He he basically said the test kitchen is a really fun place. There's so much interesting stuff going on down there, and and it was true because we would you know, all the test kitchen editors, all the food editors, I should say, as a, different from the normal editorial yeah. staff. Um, so the people that worked in the test kitchen cooking, Carla, Brad, right, yeah. right, Chris Morocco, Andy. Um, we. Not only were side projects tolerated, but they were kind of encouraged. That's so we cool. would, yeah, it was a very creative place where I could do my like weird sourdough stuff, and Brad could do his fermentation. And I think Adam one day just said, "It's really stupid that we're not capturing this stuff and making content out of it." Yeah. Um, so I think it also sort of came out of the need to like be lean and and work efficiently with content. So. It's not, you know the video kind of took shape and um, over time and and then gourmet makes happened and it was just an, initially an idea for a pilot which was the idea to reverse engineer a Twinkie right and at first they were going to have I think an actual pastry chef do it mm-hmm. like someone in in the New York area and then they said well let's just have Claire try it she's mm-hmm. like already in the test kitchen um, and that's where it started did that first one go like blow up immediately like that or was it like more of a slow build for those because the men the review numbers on those are probably pretty daunting yeah I think I think Twinkie performed very well yeah. but it was very well at the time for a Bon Appetit video right which is not that does not have the same meaning now um, but I think they thought like it performed well enough that they want to keep trying it sure and then it, and then it really snowballed into this sort of huge thing do you find that um I mean, it's interesting because you mentioned there's like a degree of a you know like anxiety around like both being on camera, but I think also like gourmet makes itself is like a challenge, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a challenge based video in the first place. Is it comfortable for you to be like exasperated, like or like, or is it something where you're like, this is like I would rather not be like tempering chocolate oh. again, kind of stuff? Yeah, I've there's a I've had my own personal evolution <laughs> with gourmet makes, um, and it did occur to me. At some point, that oh, like baked into the concept of this show is me going crazy. Yes, which I don't, I didn't necessarily love, uh, but now I've feel like I've kind of come out the other side, and now I have a better understanding of the process. Um, and yes, I get very frustrated, and I and I want to give up, but I also know that if I just step away and like go home, come back the next day, I, I'm ready to attempt it again. So the the feelings of I mean the feelings of frustration and exasperation those are like feelings I'm more comfortable expressing sure. on camera. Um I think the transparency also is part of the appeal, right? Like mm-hmm. you just feel like you're getting the real person. Yeah, like I want to stop all the time and I keep I always try to like call <laughs> cut and the director's like you can't call you're cut. Not the director. Like, yeah. But I have just trust in the process now that like it will we are going to finish this yeah. at some point and um and 
it's kind of a secret, which I talk about all the time, which is sometimes I don't really actually do it. Uh-huh. It's just like— We just end. We're just done. Yeah. I don't want to do it again, and they have to shoot something different tomorrow, and Kevin, who's behind the camera, has to has another shoot, and you know, and I'm not scheduled to come in that day to shoot video, so it's like we're just going to wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did have a period where I, I sort of hated it. Uh-huh. And now I realize was that I think the, the three month cold period. <laughs> no, it was before. It was before that. It was probably like episodes three through six okay. or something. And and I do think it also was a time when I was full time in the test kitchen and was kind of doing video on top of other stuff. all the other work that I was yeah. doing for the magazine and, the, and for digital. So now I don't want to say that I approach it with a zen attitude because I'm not zen at all. But I just it's like I know I'm just going to show up and do it. So. I don't have the quite the sense of anxiety around it that That's I good. used to. It also to. seems like it is a it seems fun to have those people around while you're doing it. I'm Definitely. sure you get this all the time, but you you, know, you just wind up feeling like by extension those are your friends by watching you guys all interact. Yeah, we've been working together since I started. Yeah. Um for for most of the people, Brad like was there on my first day. Chris Morocco wasn't there, but he had previously been an employee and then came back. And so I felt like I had known him from just people talking about him all the time. Carla was like part of, was sort of part of the team that like interviewed me before I got hired. Um, So I have such long relationships with everyone. And it's wonderful to work with people who have sort of a taste that you implicitly trust and who are really smart and have great ideas. So it helps a lot that I rely on the feedback and advice from everyone in the kitchen. Right, and, like, also the comic relief or, like, lightening up the mood kind of thing. It seems like it's nice if you were just in there alone. Oh, yeah. It would be—I would be miserable if I had to shoot that alone. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was curious about what kind of, like, basically the intensity of the labor that goes into doing it. Because you were mentioning, like, some just end. Mm -hmm. They don't really, like, hard cap it. Like, hey, see, I did it. So what's, like, the average— one take like is it is it a week shoot is it a couple of days and then what's the outlier like worst one ever <laughs> right um on average it takes three to four days okay i think and sometimes it's sort of like a half day it's like we wrap up we really wrap up on day three but everyone went home mm-hmm. and i'm not allowed to finish the show unless everyone tastes it so then we have to carry <laughs> I it over i particularly like the episodes where you're like it's sunset in new york and here i am yeah. by myself right it happens a lot <laughs> yeah. and i also was like please don't schedule any shoots on a summer friday because no one will be here. Yeah. So, but three to four days is average. Oreo took two days. And I think that, um, I think Reese's Peanut Butter Cup also took two days. Okay. In those ones, I sensed that the, direct, the director was trying to, like, throw a wrench into it and make it harder to, like, because <laughs> they were like, we need a certain number of minutes for the ads. Right. You know? Um, right. Like, go slower. And then that major outlier is, for some reason, Kit Kat took me, like, five days. But I think that's just because I sat there and spun my wheels so much. I think a lot of the process of gourmet makes is battling the idea of, like, sunken costs. And so – and really knowing when to say that this isn't working. Right. And I have to back up. But if I've spent the entire day doing it, like, when do I want to admit that? Right. Exactly. That's a really tough pill to swallow sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, for for Kit Kat, I just didn't – I didn't follow that gut feeling that, like, this just isn't working. Right. And then I just, for some reason, took five days. So when you have people in Gourmet Makes who are giving you loose ground rules, like, it has to do this. You, know, you <laughs> have to have it be like this. Is that not staged, but is that sort of part of the conceit that some you're like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then some people are like, well, if you're going to do that thing, you have to have the ridges on top of a Snickers or something like that. Yes. That's part of the kind of format of the show is yeah. asking 
sort of like crowdsourcing from the test kitchen and other editors who pop down into the kitchen say, you know, for us to make this thing, what does it have to have? But sometimes I just ignore. Yeah. I ignore <laughs> or I attempt it and then it doesn't happen and I just pretend like it was never important <laughs> from the beginning. Or just forget that first part. Yeah. Right, right. Like, oh, that, you know, it doesn't have – like, so I just – I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I just shot like peanut. I don't care. I just shot peanut M and M's. Okay. And the I could not get like the shiny, smooth coating, and so it was just sort of like, well, I never wanted that from yeah. the beginning. We always wanted it's, like a kind of gunmetal taste. Right. To the candy. Right. It always was going to look like a little pebble. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um. So there's a little bit of like re- revision at the end. So I think my favorite thing about the show. I mean, I a don't really cook that much. B okay. probably. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to start doing any, like half of it. It's essentially like watching the NBA. I'm like, you're just so much better at this. Like, it would be, it's not even basketball if I tried to do it. And then also, I think probably at the end of the day, I'm probably like, I think I'd probably just get a Twizzler. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'd probably just get the regular Twizzlers. But obviously, I think you're just like an incredible personality. And then there's something about watching process that's really fascinating. But you, you keyed in, especially in the in the like almond joy. I think Pringles, there's been a bunch where it obviously there's like a nostalgia thing at work for you. Yes. And for that's sure. like the one of like that's the thing that I think you capture so well is like you outline like what relationship you had to this snack as a kid and whether you were allowed to have it or it was only special occasions or you would do this with your sister or not. And can you tell me a little bit about nostalgia as a function in gourmet makes? Yeah, a lot of the people that work on the show are like kids of the 90s mm-hmm. um, or growing up and, or adolescents in the 90s, me included. So there, it a lot of them touch that nostalgia factor and uh, because it really is an interesting – Gourmet Mix is an interesting window into the American snack food industry yeah. and and the kinds of engineering that go into these – all these products um, and, and also marketing because so many people say like, oh, I would pack Gushers in my lunchbox or mm-hmm. we would have – this one maybe hasn't come out yet, but, like, we did Pop-Tarts. Oh, cool. And, and I never—growing up, I I fortunately had parents who cooked and didn't have a lot of sort of snack food type things yeah. in the house. So sometimes I have a relationship with the food or sometimes I don't. Often it's just a thing that I watched my friends eat at lunchtime and was, like, jealous that they had it and I didn't. Um, yeah. So there is, like, a pretty dramatic nostalgia factor, and a lot of what I learn about the foods as an adult is that they were not at all delicious <laughs> at all. And that and that it also was like kind of makes me think about the way memory works. Because yeah, of you course. remember things tasting amazing. And then as an adult, or at least I as an adult go back and taste them and it's like the the memory is so different than the reality. Just because our palates change and 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 tastes change and things especially in the nineties when sugar was fine mm-hmm. and fat was bad. Like things are just so sweet. So um I think the goal of Gourmet Makes is always to for the recreation to be the way you thought the food, like the way you remembered the food tasted yeah. and not the reality of how it tasted. So like texturally maybe like have something that's pretty close to it but not like – because I think I noticed like a lot of the times you guys are like, let's dial down the sweetness. This is crazy. Always, always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you a nostalgic person when it comes to like pop culture stuff? Like I, I get this is like my segue to Stranger Things yes. sort of, but I was wondering whether or not that's like a – a big thing for you or whether it's more like it's it's mostly through gourmet makes that you sort of interact with Oh, that. it speaks to me in pop culture yeah. all, all, all over. I mean, Stranger Things, I'm a little young for that, for yeah. Stranger Things, but I remember. I have older sisters, so I feel like that helps you. That helps me sort of. And you grew up in the my, Midwest, right? Yeah, yes, right. yes. 
I think having older siblings makes you a little more, um, it like ages me a little bit. Sure. Like it ages me down. Because their experiences are like a little bit handed down to you too. Right, yeah. right. Um, and like what they thought was cool when they would, you know, when they were a teenager, I watched maybe when I was like a little too mm-hmm. young or something. So I, I love that sort of nostalgic feeling in Stranger Things and um, I think the, the Midwest thing for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, like does Gourmet makes does it have to be related to like snack food? Is there like other stuff that you've got like kind of like thought about experimenting with outside mm. of the prepackaged like here's this thing that you used to get and now like what if we made an extra special version of it? Right. The I don't know. I struggle a lot with the word gourmet. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Right. Um, so I think I do think the show is contingent on the subject being considered not gourmet somehow, uh-huh. which was something I said about Ferrero Rocher was like, this is a thing that people think actually is kind of fancy yeah. and like maybe serve at the holidays. So I don't know if that was the best subject, but it does feel like it has to come from, it has to sort of be this like industrial produced, like mass marketed item. It's so funny though now, because like with with restaurants, it's like you will get gourmet chicken nuggets at mm-hmm. places. You know, like a lot of the stuff is kind of like being reimagined like I know it like a lot it's like Dave Chang's restaurants do that where mm-hmm. you're just like oh yeah like this is like I'm basically having a Dairy Queen meal but it's done <laughs> at like this really high level of sophistication and like flavor right and one thing I like about gourmet makes is I hope that it shows that I, I think a, a misconception of people like who like us who work in the test kitchen or in food media is that we're kind of snobs about food mm-hmm. And it's not true at all. We have very strong opinions, but it doesn't mean that we turn our nose up at at snack foods yeah. or like some things I don't like, but some things are great. Like a Dorito is like oh, a yeah. perfect snack food, and it's great, and I want to eat them. So um, it's not it's not about. Um, I always get the impression snobbery. you're more like crap. I have to make this now than you are. <laughs> like I don't actually like the flavor. Right. Some of them I love. Although like, Peeps, it did seem like you were like, oh, this just, is the trial of Claire. It's not a good food. No. It's not. Like some of them are not good. Yeah. And so, and we, when, you know, I'm very honest about that, but, but I, some of them are great. Has there ever been something that you've been interested to try, but either is like outside of your expertise or even like outside of the realm of science, like try to like make new Coke or something like that? Oh yeah. That's come up. And I think there have been ones, like I did think that um, Gushers, which was episode two or three maybe, Mm -hmm. was going to be, I had all these ideas in my head about how I could do it. And then I realized like this is, once they stopped working, I was like, I have no more ideas and now I have to make them and I'm I'm really not looking forward to it. Again, I think this is like a, I'm like spoiling, these are all things we've shot that haven't aired. So I hope I'm allowed to talk about them. But we did Pop Rocks. And it's like, Pop Rocks is has so far been the one thing on Gourmet Makes that truly has to be made in... Like a factory. Like a factory yeah. or like a laboratory because it's formed under pressure. It's like trapped CO2 in this kind of like crystalline sugar structure that oh, wow. that when you put it on your mouth and that your saliva like melts uh, or dissolves the sugar, it creates this like release of gas that pops. Yeah. And it's like it is literally impossible to make this <laughs> in the test kitchen. And we talked about things like using a pressure cooker and I was like I think we just talked about making a bomb in a pressure cooker in the world in the World Trade Center and like this is not good oh like we, we can't do this so that was I mean that was like pure misery for me because I just knew there was no yeah yeah there usually things fall into one of two categories there's the snack foods that that like 
it, it is a thing that really exists. It's just a mass market version. Sure. So something like a Twix is a good example because it's chocolate and caramel and a cookie and that those are all You're real like, things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's things like Pop Rocks where it's like this is not this barely exists in the universe. You yeah. Know? This is like there's no real natural ingredients in this, really. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, do you have any interest or ambition in doing stuff that happens outside of the test kitchen? Because the test kitchen is such a huge character in all the videos, and I know that Brad goes on the road a little bit, but I was curious whether or not there's, like, a version of stuff that you want to do that happens out in in the world. Yeah, my favorite kinds of opportunities for video are the ones where I get to learn from someone that's, that's like, more skilled than I am and and are— masters of their craft and and true experts. So that's always fun. There's some bakers that I'd love to sort of like pick their brain and and watch work and learn from them. So we did that. We did a show called Making Perfect About Pizza. Oh, yeah. And that was really fun because we had Anthony Falco, who's like a a pizza guru, come in and sort of teach me about the dough making process. And I loved that. For that show, I got to actually leave the kitchen and we went to a couple of pizza ca- it places. It like you got furloughed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to leave the kitchen and go to the Lower East Side. So the, the my joke is that, like, I don't get to go above Chamber Street, which is a little New York geography, but it's, like, yeah. two blocks from the World Trade Center. Yeah. Um, so as long as it's a 10-minute walk from the test kitchen, I'm allowed to shoot there, <laughs> I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love working in the test kitchen because I love— Mostly it's the people. Yeah. I love how collaborative it is. You know where everything is. I know where everything is, yeah. For the most part, yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, But yeah, it's always nice to get out and especially learn from another expert. Is it daunting to have to consider, because, you know, obviously, like, you're talking about, like, you got the recipe tester job, and that was, like, the culmination of everything you'd sort of worked towards, and you're you're writing cookbooks, and I think, obviously, you're probably a big connoisseur of, of cookbooks if you're doing that. But was, like, is it weird to have to consider, like, next steps in video as part of, like, a career plan? Or, or mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that I found a place that really works for me. Sure. So I'm not—I'm not, I'm here at VidCon with all these creators, and they are individuals who, like, run their own channels and edit their videos and do—and are involved in every part yeah. and run themselves like a business. And I don't really want to do that. So it's just, it's like, oh, that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it uses a lot of skills that I don't have. Um, so I'm very happy to be at a place like Bon Appetit where it's a wonderful platform and I have the whole engine of the brand making me look good. Yeah. And and that's great. So um, it's I'm fortunate that I don't really spend that much time, I guess, thinking about, like, what's the next step in the evolution of me in video? Sure. Because I have other people thinking about <laughs> yeah, that. That's good. Which for me is great. Yeah. Because I love that I get to focus on like this uh, this book project, for example, that is a very a long about process. It? Yeah, I mean, it's not for going to happen for a very long time. So is this so, a spoiler of your own quick <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that the publisher is sort of like, unless it's within six months of the publication date, you don't have to talk about it, and it's like more than a year away. So, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a book all about baking. Yeah. And it's a nice counterpoint to Gourmet Makes because the Gourmet Makes is not about teaching anybody anything that they're going to do at home. Yeah, that's um, the kind of, like, the fascinating thing about it is it's, like, it starts out and you're like, oh, okay, so uh, temper chocolate, don't know what that is. And then also, and, like, you're like, oh, fuck this. I'm not supposed to know how to do this. <laughs> right, so, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, I don't recommend that anyone try to recreate any right. thing from Gourmet Makes. Although it has, I have, like, people sent me DMs of, like, I'm, I made this or something. <laughs> My and, apartment's on fire. Right, right. Yeah. I had to buy a dehydrator <laughs> on Amazon. So it's nice to work on a book because it's just a very different mode and it's really about sort of like teaching and service for the reader. So it's um, 
it's great to have those two sort of parallel and complementary yeah. projects. Do you watch stuff on YouTube? Like as a I, – I don't know if, if you say no, I guess you feel – is that weird to ask? I mean the answer is no. Yeah. At, like I really don't. I mean it makes me feel very old um, because I don't consume a lot of – content on YouTube. Okay. And I don't really watch – I mean, I try to watch my own videos sometimes, and, and mostly I watch them because the editing is so great, and I love to see the work of the editors right. and what they do with the tons and tons of footage that we give them. Yeah, they're really charmingly edited. Yeah, yeah. The editing is so wonderful and complimentary, thankfully, because they cut out so much of my complaining. <laughs> I complain so much <laughs> during gourmet makes. So that, do you they're, have they're someone there kind. who's like your – like? stand-in therapist during the show or is it are you complaining into the void and then you bring yourself back yeah I mostly complain to the director who's this guy Dan who I, who is great and is wonderful and has like learned how to deal with me okay and like handle um mostly what he has to do is wrangle me because I get I really like talking to everyone in the kitchen and he his he told me when we first started working together that it it feels like being with his mom at a party. <laughs> where it's like, Mom, can't we go? But I'm just like, I just have to talk to just one more person. Started, yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm just talking to Chris about something else. So, yes, it does. It, it feels like, I guess Chris is kind of like my therapist. That's nice. He, he, he like, pats me on the back. I was like, it's going to be okay. But then we'll also be like, you have to make sure you have, like, three layers of wafer here or it doesn't, like, quite be. Oh, right. The, yeah. Then he'll taste it at the end and be, and, like, be like here, here's everything you did wrong, <laughs> which I already know because I'm, like, very aware of all the shortcomings. And, like, to tell people about them is before they even eat them. I give them the spoilers of, yeah. of the, the finished gourmet mix. That's good. Because I, I, the reason I was asking is because I, I think that I, I've obviously there's a person who works on the internet have to I use it all the time I use YouTube all the time and I, but it was largely more for like oh I really either need to or want to watch this like pulp fiction scene and don't feel like t- t- getting the DVD out it was like more like yes. research or like for fun I'm just gonna watch this trailer and then in the last I would say two years or so the two things that have really happened are one I've tried to get better at golf so I watch a lot of golf instruction mm-hmm. which is like an entirely other podcast and then just randomly will, like, let the algorithm do stuff for me, which obviously, as we know from our political climate, can be a dangerous escapade. But right. I've got some guardrails, obviously, emotionally, that I <laughs> stay away from the bad stuff. But, like, you know, you'll just sort of be clicking around. And I can't even remember how I found Gourmet Makes. I think it might have been, a, like, a link to the BuzzFeed story that happened about oh, the kitchen uh-huh. in general. But it's weird that how much more now— and people who I work with here are like, oh, yeah, and I, that I really like watching— Claire, I really re- like watching Hot Ones, or I really like mm-hmm. watching, um, it's like, any discipline, anything that's, like, targeted to, like, your, your like, personal tastes, there's probably something there that's, like, very specifically about that. Uh-huh. I've, I mean, I've, I fall down the occasional YouTube rabbit hole, and a lot of times I think it's because I'm, like, looking up a song. Uh-huh. I use it sort of, like, for, for, like, lis- listening to music sure. sometimes, and then it's like, oh, here's this really great like concert video of Bruce Springsteen in like 1989. <laughs> Two hours and then, later. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's like that happens sometimes, but yeah. I don't really consume like series, I guess, yeah. on, on YouTube. And and I think that I'm just such like a traditional television watcher. And it, it matters to me a lot. Um, so I moved, like I moved about a year ago mm-hmm. and I didn't have cable. I didn't have basic cable and I just watched, did like a lot of streaming. And I watched television so deliberately because of that. I would pick series mm-hmm. and go through them. And Any I, highlights from that? I watched, like, all of The Sopranos, which I had never seen oh, cool. straight through. And it's such a fun feeling. It's like reading a good book. It's so nice to, like, get be excited to go home at night. And oh, I can yeah. watch three episodes before I have to go to bed. Yeah. Um, 
So I went through a lot of HBO because I got like an HBO Go login. Okay. Um, and now I have cable and so much of my television watching is – it's like a palliative. Yeah. I just – I want to like turn off my – especially after like a gourmet makes – shoot day. Yeah. I just want to go and switch off my brain. So what's the palliative? It can't, is it food TV or is it oh, no, like Weather not. Channel or something? Um, It's usually Bravo. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like very well versed in the Housewives. whole Real Housewives franchises. I'm pretty, Kaya, our producer, uh, is, can attest, I, I got into Vanderpump. Uh-huh. Um, oh my God. On a flight, I watched like eight episodes and now I, like, I watch it pretty... <sighs> I, oh, I guess if you're in L.A., are I know. you going to go to Sir? I really thought to myself, like, should I go <laughs> to one of— You're not that far from Tom, Tom and Sir. I was like, I named all of them. I was like, should I go to Tom, Tom, Sir, Villa—what is it? Villa— Villa Blanca. Villa Blanca. Villa Blanca. Thank you, Kaya. Or, <laughs> or Pom. This is the convergence of or, Kaya's interests of having you here to talk about uh-huh. Svanderpump. <laughs> yes. It's—I mean, I, I would— I think I would be considered like a Bravo super fan because okay. I really do like watch so many of the shows. And I just we were at we were in Vegas this weekend for the NBA Summer League and we were at Caesars and there's the Vanderpump cocktail lounge is there. I know that because when Bon Appetit had their Vegas Uncorked festival, which was in maybe it was April or May, uh-huh. Andy, my colleague from the Test Kitchen, got to go and met Lisa Vanderpump. Oh, no. And I was wow. texting him, being you like, must have been so tell me everything. And he was like, it was incredible. I think, so, Kai, feel free to get on the mic here because you would know better than me. But if you go to TomTom, like, they're working there, right? TomTom? I don't, the way I think about them <laughs> right now, and, like, we had the executive producer on another one of the podcasts I produced, and I think of them as, like, Disney characters, <laughs> where, like, if you go to Disneyland and you go to, like— Goofy greets you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Or, like, you go to a themed restaurant. Like, the characters are there, and they greet you, and they interact with you as, they're eat- as you're eating, but they're not serving your food. Oh, mm-hmm. see, I thought Juliet said that at Sir, you, like, you can catch a shift with Katie there. I think that's how it used to be when, um, like, the show was, like, early on before, like, it got so big. Yeah, I think they're all, like— t- really rich now. Which yeah, is I mean, bizarre. they do, like, a lot of, like, club openings right. and appearances and stuff. Right, yeah. But right. I, I, I guess I just hold, because, like, I, for some reason, like, still think of it as a reality show where, oh, yeah, so it's, like, it's like right. they're shit. They're just at work. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was, Jax is probably on his honeymoon now, right? <laughs> I remember, I remember, I did see that he got married <laughs> last weekend the in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope if you do go, you enjoy yourself down at Sir. I, it would be, I think it would be quite a pilgrimage. Walking distance from here or no? No, but you want to, you should get yourself like the nicest Uber and okay. drop you off like so that it's almost like a celebrity is getting out to go, you know? Uh-huh. But it's, it's probably what, like 15, 20 minutes from our office? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. It's you, not too bad. That's very exciting. I don't, I don't have a great like lay of the land for it's LA. just like west of here okay yeah okay great I'm planning the seed you should do it I think um, alright Claire thank you so much for joining the watch uh, everybody should check out Gourmet Makes is, and is it starting up again soon like is it in, in still season one? Oh, that's the joke it's like it'll be like oh, season it's one season one episode 140 oh great so yeah okay. we'll see I get very like conscious about seasons because we always have to talk about them on the show I, I one time asked I was like yeah. so we're still in season one <laughs> and they were like just don't you should worry get about super it. like season two we really need to like have something dark happen like Empire <laughs> yes. Strikes Back style <laughs> I'll put in a word okay cool Claire thank you so much for coming by thanks for having me <laughs> 